So in the football world, Raider fans are known for being pretty hardcore. So here's some of the people you may bump into at a Raiders game. He probably just needs a hug. Come on. How about these folks? They look like a friendly bunch. So Raider fans can be pretty hardcore. And if you go to a Raiders game, some of the hardest of the hardcore sit in a section of the stadium known as the black hole. So here's the black hole. So let's say you're not a Raiders fan. You're the opposite. You're a Chiefs fan. So that's like a big rivalry. And good news, the Chiefs are playing the Raiders. And more good news, you win free tickets to the Raiders game. And even more good news, your seat is really close to the field. Bad news is your seat is right in the middle of the black hole. So you got some decisions to make. For example, decision one, do you want to live? Like you want to get out of there alive, right? And so, for instance, do I wear my red Chiefs jersey to the game? Like how publicly do I want to stand out? Do I want to be the one lone island of red in a whole sea of black? Or would it be better to wear my blue polo shirt from Costco that day? How publicly do I want to express how much I'm for the Chiefs fan? For instance, vocally, when I, when, do I want to be the guy standing and cheering when everybody else is, is booing? How much do I want to stand out when I'm in a situation where I'm surrounded by people that would probably rather beat me up? Which brings us to today's passage. Today I want to talk about being willing to stand alone when you're the black hole. Specifically, being willing to stand for Christ when you're surrounded by people that wish you really weren't there at all. And so, if you have your Bible, we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 26. And so if you want to turn there with me, listen to what Jesus says. He says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. When I tell you in the dark, say where? In the light, publicly. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Where? Publicly. In verse 28, and do not fear. So three times in here he's going to say, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. And do not fear those who kill the body, which sounds kind of scary, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And then he lays out the, like, the eternal consequences of either standing for him or not standing for him. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So I want to work through this passage today with you. So if we go back to verse 26, he says, have no fear of them. Who's the them? Dentists? No. Raider fans? No. People who can do stuff like this. Deliver you over to courts, flog you, drag you before governors, deliver you over to death, put you to death, hate you, persecute you, and malign you. Now, why would people do something like that to you? Because you showed up to the Raiders game with a red jersey. So if you remember the context of this is Jesus has told his disciples, hey, go and share the gospel everywhere, and guess what? As you go, this stuff's going to happen. Well, that seems like kind of scary stuff. And yet, his first words in this passage to them is what? Do not fear. So have no fear. I'm like, how can you not be afraid if somebody's going to do all that bad stuff to you? In fact, he not only says don't fear, he actually asks them to do the kind of things that's going to cause the bad stuff to happen. So if you go through this passage three times, it tells you what not to do, what just to fear. But if you look at some of the verbs in this passage, it says the stuff you are supposed to do. So for instance, in verse 27, you're supposed to say in the light. In verse 27, you're supposed to proclaim. You're supposed to fear God. You're supposed to acknowledge Christ before people. And so as you look at the things Christ calls us to do in this passage, you have things like say, proclaim, fear, and acknowledge. But what about if you do those things, and as a result of doing those things, this stuff happens? 
would it be possible that the scary stuff on that one side of the list could keep you from doing the eternally important stuff on the other side of the list? Because it's in this context that Jesus says, don't be afraid. Do not fear. As a Christian, the danger of fear is not just that I'm stuck with some scaredy cat emotion. The danger of fear is that it causes me to be silent when I should speak up. That it causes me to stay seated when I should stand up. That it causes me to shrink back when I should step forward. So I want to share some thoughts from today's passage. And the first one is this. is No matter how difficult the situation, I need to say what God calls me to say. I need to proclaim what God calls me to proclaim. I need to fear whom God calls me to fear. I need to acknowledge whom God calls me to acknowledge no matter what the cost because the consequences are eternal. But it's not easy to do that. Some of you know it's not easy to do that. We live in a culture where increasingly it seems like Christian views are not particularly popular. Some of you may be in situations at work where it's difficult to be a Christian. How about if you're in a college class and the teacher is going on and on about how Christians are bigots and Christians are backwards and Christians are haters and Christians are idiots and oh by the way how many of you are Christians? Like do you really want to raise your hand where they frame it that way? Like sometimes it's just easier to do this. You know what, I'm going to wear my Chiefs jersey, but I'll put my blue Costco polo shirt on over it. It's like on the inside, I know where I stand, and God knows where I stand because he can see the inside, he can see the shirt that I'm wearing, but it may go a little bit better with the people around there because they just may not get it. And, and maybe they'll see the little bit of red that's showing here, and somebody will come up to me and say, why is it that you have a little bit of red on you? And then like Superman, I can rip this open and reveal to them my true faith and be able to share Christ. It can be hard, it can be difficult to stand for Christ, to share Christ, to publicly acknowledge Christ when it costs you. So how do you do that? How do you stand strong when the pressure's on, when it can cost you everything? So let's take a look at some things Jesus says in this passage. Because three times he says, don't fear. And the one time he says, oh, by the way, do fear. So if we don't fear the things he says not to fear, but we do fear the one that he tells us to fear that we're going to be heading in the right direction. So let's go back. Let's work through the passage. So verse 26 is that first do not fear and the call to publicly reveal in verse 27 and proclaim and share Christ. Verse 28 is the next do not fear. He says, do not fear those who can kill what? The body. Well, being killed sounds kind of scary. Like, why would you not be afraid of somebody who can kill you? Like, if they come to your front door with a machine gun and say, you know, if you acknowledge Christ, I'm going to shoot you. Like, that seems like that'd be a pretty scary situation. So why should we not fear them? Well, look what he says. Don't fear those who can kill the body. He says there's something they can't do. They can't kill what? Yeah, the soul. So let's say following Christ costs me something. It costs me my job. It costs me my house. It costs me my car, my iPhone, my life. But the thing they can't take is my soul. If I lose all that, but I get to keep my soul, is it worth it? Okay, so most of you probably arrived at church today in some sort of a vehicle. So I want to make a deal with you is I'm willing to buy your vehicle. Okay, so here's my first offer. How many of you would be willing to sell your vehicle to me for $1,000? I give you $1,000, you give me the vehicle. Now, nobody raises their hand. Like, nobody came on a bike or anything for $1,000. Okay, how about this? I'll, I'll bump it up because I can tell you guys are savvy sellers. How many of you be willing to sell your car to me if I give you $10,000? I give you $10,000, you give me your car. Okay, a couple people. Okay, I'm going to bump up the offer. How about this? I give you $25,000, you give me your car. You want to make the... Okay, how about this? I give you $100,000 and you give me the car. Would you make the deal then? Yeah, see, there it works. For $100,000, you'll even throw in your Arizona Cardinals license plate, which actually devalues the car. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so, so, in, so for the deal to be worth it, what you give up has to be worth it in the context of what you get. 
This thing that you get for giving up this, this thing has to be of greater value. So if, if following Christ costs me my house, my job, my life, everything I have, but the thing that I get to keep is my soul, is it worth it? So let's see what the, let's see what the expert on the topic has to say. So let's take a look at Mark, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now look at the math in verse 36. Look at the deal in verse 36. Look at the trade-off in verse 36. For what does it profit? So it's kind of like a deal. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit what? The soul. So here's like everything over here. And so let's say, you, let's say when the pressure's on, you need to keep your job and you need to keep your house and you need to keep, in, and, and so on the one hand, you're holding on to this stuff over here, but then you give up, you lose your soul. Is it worth it? And the answer is no. Yeah. Verse, 20, verse 37, what can a man give in return for a soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So what Jesus is telling us this, so if we go back and we look there at verse 28, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, is that the mean people that are out there, even if they take everything you have, they can't take everything you have. And the one thing they can't take is worth more, all, is worth more than all the stuff they can't take. Yeah, but how about if like literally, how about if literally they're going door to door with machine guns killing Christians? Like, aren't there some circumstances where it's okay like to slightly modify your behavior if somebody can make your life miserable? Aren't there some cases where maybe you can kind of change things up a little bit when the people empower out to, you know, get you? Like, are there some situations where maybe you should change things up based on what another person thinks about you? And I think the answer is absolutely. I think it's totally okay to change your behavior on what people in power can do as long as it's what the most, most powerful person can do. I think it's okay to change your life based on what people think as long as it's what the right person thinks. If you're going to let fear control your life, make sure it's fear of the right person, which is the second half of verse 28, right? He said, you're going to be scared of something. Don't be scared of what these people can do. Be scared of what this other person can do. Instead, rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body where? And he'll, if you're going to let what people in power can do affect your life, make sure it's what the most important person in power can do. If you're going to allow what other people think about you to change your life, make sure it's what that one person thinks about you, which is God. So, like, so here I am. I'm in a situation where I have an opportunity to share Christ with somebody, to stand up for Christ, to share what I believe. So here I am. I'm a Christian. Here's God. Here's this person. I want to say something, but I don't. And the reason I don't is not because I'm going to get arrested or killed. It's like, I don't know how it's going to come across. I don't know how the person's going to receive it. They may think I'm weird. Now, I don't know that they're going to think I'm weird because I never say it, but they may think I'm weird. So as a result of what that person thinks, I'm going to change my behavior. Meaning, instead of saying something, I'm going to be quiet. But then I think, you know what? Christ was beaten, suffered, nailed to a cross to give his life for me. What would it look like for me to just not even talk about him? And not even publicly admit that I know the guy. Like, how would that look before God? So I wanted to say something, but because of what this person thinks, I'm not going to say something. But now as I think about what that person thinks, I'm going to say it. So in both cases, what somebody thinks about you could change your behavior. Just make sure it's what the most important person 
thinks about you. I've never had a, a gun held in my head for following Christ, but in that moment, what's going to be powerful enough, what's going to be strong enough to keep me from caving in? I'm going to have to fear God more than I fear the consequences of losing my life. I'm going to have to love God more than I love my own life. I'm going to have to believe that it's worth acknowledging Christ on the day when it can cost me everything because he'll acknowledge me on the day when it will gain me everything. So I want to share four thoughts today from this passage, things to remember about God, truths about God that can help us stand strong when we're in the middle of the black hole, that can help us stand strong when the pressure's on and following Christ. And the first one is this, to remember that God is the only one worth fearing. Let's keep looking at what Jesus has to say. So in verse 29, he talks about sparrows and hair. So are not two sparrows sold for a penny? So that means sparrows are worth a half penny each. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hair of your head are all numbered. Now, what does that tell us about God? One thing it tells us about God is that God's aware of what's going on. Now, is God only aware of the big stuff that's going on or the little stuff that's going on as well? Yeah, God, even if, even if a half penny sparrow falls down, God knows about it. Even if you lose one of the little hairs on your head, God knows about it. So one thing it tells us about God is that God is aware of what's going on down to the smallest details. Another thing that it tells us about God is that God is in control of what's going on. So if you look at that phrase there in verse 29, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from who? Yeah, the Father. So God is aware of everything that's going on down to the smallest detail. God is in control of everything that's going on down to the smallest detail. Now, how does that help us when the pressure is on for following Christ? Now, remember that the world he just got done describing that these disciples are going to be facing. So he talks about a situation where you're going to be delivered over to courts, flogged, dragged before governors, put to death, hated by all, persecuted, maligned. Like if you're in the middle of a world like that, it could feel like evil is more in control than the God's in control. If you lived in a world like that, which if you turn on the TV, maybe it feels like that right now, it may be easier to look at that and say, you know what, like things are so bad right now, maybe you should just play it safe. Maybe I should slip on that blue polo shirt from Costco and just kind of like lay low and wait to a better time. But it's in that world that Christ calls us to, no, shout it from the rooftop. Say in the light. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel. But be willing to acknowledge me, even if it costs you everything. What does it take to do that? I got to believe that God is in control. I got to believe that God knows everything that's going on down to that smallest detail that I'm afraid of, and that God's in control of everything that's going on down to that smallest detail. It's like somebody's at pressure at work to do something that's wrong. It's like, I know I really shouldn't do it, but man, if, like, I just got to do what I got to do right now to keep my job. Like, I got to pay my bills. I got to take care of my family. I got to pay my car payments. I got to, and, and like, you think about, on the one hand, you're supposed to do what God wants you to do, but you look at all the different stuff that's involved and all the different pressure and all the different politics at work, and it's like, my bosses are not Christians. They're not going to get it. It's like, like, you know, you know, you don't understand what it's like. You don't understand all the stuff that I'm going through. It's, it's simply not that easy. And I may not understand all the details of what you're going through. And I may not understand all the specifics of what you're facing, but God does. God knows all the pressure you're facing right now down to the smallest detail, down to the hair on your head or the half-penny sparrow that falls from the ground. And he still calls you to love him and serve him and follow him and acknowledge him, even if it costs you your life. Right now, God knows some of the difficulties that you're going through. You know, so the pressure that some of you are under, he knows how hard it is right now for some of you in life. He knows that some of you are out there right now, but feels like you're on your own with zero support. And he still calls you to love him and serve him and follow him. What's it going to take to do that when it could cost me everything? Well, number one, it's I have to believe that God is the only one worth fearing. And then number two, I have to believe that God is in control, no matter the circumstance. 
In fact, what Jesus says, he goes on to say in verse 31 about this God who's in control, not one spirit falls to the ground. He goes on to say this, fear not, so there's the, the, the next don't fear. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So one of the things that God wants us to know is this. We're valuable to him. You're valuable to him. When he sends you out into a situation where you could get beat up, arrested, maligned, hated, dragged before a governor and put to death, he wants you to know, I'm sending you out into that situation and I want you to know this, you are valuable to me. And if one sparrow is not going to fall to the ground apart from me, you're worth way more than sparrows. You're not going to fall to the ground apart from me. So that's encouraging, right? But here's the deal. When you go back and you look at verse 29 about sparrows falling to the ground, we live in a world where sparrows fall to the ground. We live in a world where even with God in control, sparrows fall to the ground. And we live in a world where even with God in control, Christians fall to the ground. We live in a world where Christians are arrested and beaten and thrown into prison and put to death, even with God being in control. And Jesus says, it's going to happen to you. That's the context of this passage. But when this happens, I want you to know you're valuable to me. Well, how does that help me stand strong when the pressure is on? Well, as you look at verse 29 and 31, it lets us know some things about God. It lets us know that God's aware of everything that's going on, down to the hairs on our head. It lets us know that God's in control of what's going on, that nothing's going to happen apart from him, and it lets us know we're valuable to God. So if I believe those three things about God, God's aware of everything, God's in control of everything, and I'm valuable to God, how does that help me when I may be arrested or be faced with prison or I may be put to death for my faith? Maybe in this way. When this difficult, painful thing happens to me, God is aware of it, down to the smallest detail. And when this painful thing happens to me, God is in control of it, down to the smallest detail. And when this painful thing happens to me, I'm valuable to God, which means God's doing it for a reason. And since I'm valuable to God, the reason he's allowing this to happen is worth it. He's not trading me in for a Ford Fiesta. Right? If I believe that God is in control and God's aware of everything that's happening and he's allowing it to happen, if in fact I am valuable to God, then the reason he's allowing this bad thing to happen is of greater value. Well, how about if I'm going through a really difficult time in life? What could be of greater value? A whole bunch of stuff. The Bible talks about the testing of our faith, which is of greater worth than gold. Yeah, but how about if it costs me my life? What could be more valuable than my life? How about God getting glory? So Jesus is talking about, hey, when you go out and preach the gospel, all this stuff's going to happen to you. One of the guys sitting there listening is a guy named Peter. Does Peter go on to be killed for his faith? The answer is, yeah. In fact, later on, Jesus tells this to Peter. He says, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Probably like you know, being arrested and let off in handcuffs, kind of a, a thought. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would do what? Glorify God. So here's the, so I'm in this situation where it may cost me everything. Is what I'm giving up worth what I'm getting? How about if the thing that I'm giving up is my life and the thing that I'm getting in return is God getting glory? Is that worth it? I know the right answer is yeah, but like what's the real answer? Like when the pressure's on and they're going door to door with a machine gun and saying either deny Christ or we're going to shoot you, is God getting glory more important? Is it more valuable to me than my own life? Like, am I willing to believe that God's in control? Am I willing to believe that God's aware? And I will, am I willing to believe 
that God cares about me, that my life is valuable to God. So if God puts me in a situation like that, if that God calls me to fall to ground like a sparrow, that it's not happening apart from him. Am I willing to be obedient to God even if the path is painful? Am I willing to be obedient to God even if the path ends in death? Am I willing to trust that God has a plan, his plan is good and that he's good? Am I willing to submit myself to his will? Am I willing to say, not my will, but your will be done? Am I willing to be like Jesus who's obedient even to death, death on a cross? So what's it going to take to stand strong when the pressure's on? What's it going to take to stand strong when you're living in the middle of a black hole and it looks like everybody wants to hurt you? Well, number one, I'm going to have to believe that God's the only one worth fearing. I'm going to have to believe that God is in control no matter what the circumstances. And the third thing is that God cares about us and we can trust our lives into his hands. And we need to stay calm and carry on. Even if the path leads to, to death. Look at the next passage with me. So he gets on talking about sparrows in verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father was in heaven. That sounds good. Like I want that. I want verse 32. Verse 33, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus lays out like the, cons- the eternal consequences of whether we stand strong or cave in. Acknowledge him before men, he'll acknowledge us before the Father. Deny him before men, and he'll deny us before the Father. Like, so think of the context of this. Jesus gathers the disciples together. He says, hey, go out and preach the gospel. And as you go, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get beat up. You're going to get arrested. You're going to get thrown into jail. People are going to hate you. Some of you are even going to get killed. But no matter what happens, don't be afraid. And no matter what happens, do not deny me. So one of the guys sitting there nodding his head is Peter. Got it. Do not deny you. Even if I have to die with you, I won't forsake you. He goes on to say, when the pressure was on, did Peter stand strong or did Peter cave in? He caved in. He did not even know Jesus Christ. Like, the pressure is real. Like, even somebody who sits there and hears all that, once you get put in that personal situation, it's like, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. Jesus is that guy from, like, you know, Waddell? I don't think he's from Waddell. I don't know what you're talking about. What does it take to stand strong when it can cost you everything? Because here's, here's what's happened. I've had times where I've denied Christ, where I haven't stood up for him, where I haven't said the thing I know he wanted me to say. I've had times where I haven't talked to the person I know he wants me to talk to. Was it because I was going to be arrested? No. Was it because somebody was going to kill me if I didn't? No. It, I didn't do it for, for as lame of a reason as I thought maybe they would think I'm weird. Like Christ suffered, was beaten, and died on a cross for me, and I won't even publicly go on record as, as knowing the guy. There's that passage we looked at a little bit earlier. It was in Mark. And look at one of the, the, the words that's used here. He says, for whoever is what? Ashamed. Is it possible to simply just be embarrassed, to be ashamed to bring up your relationship with Christ with other people? See, who is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation? We live in an adulterous and sinful generation where God's word isn't always so popular. And maybe it's easier just to say, you know what, I think I'll wear the blue polo shirt today. Like God knows where I stand on the inside. That's what's really important. But look what he goes on to say. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Like, think about how lame that is to be ashamed of our relationship with God. Christ suffered for us. He died on the cross, and we're embarrassed to even admit we know him. It's like, how about if there's some guy that asks a girl to be his girlfriend? She says yes. And he says, okay, but here's the plan. Don't tell anybody we're boyfriend and girlfriend. Like, when we're alone, we can be like boyfriend and girlfriend, but out in public, like, if you see me in public, act like you don't even know me. Like, let's just not let anybody else know about this right now. Like, who's going to sign up for that kind of a relationship, right? 
And what's so weird is this, those times when I'm ashamed of Christ, when I'm ashamed of my relationship with Christ, like here's my relationship with Christ. In this two-person relationship, if anybody should be embarrassed of the other person, Christ should be embarrassed about me. I'm the guy who can't get my act together. I'm the guy that keeps letting him down. I'm the guy that keeps sinning. I'm the guy that ends up betraying him. I'm like the hillbilly cousin who's picking his teeth with a fork. And Christ is bringing me to the party. He's bringing me to heaven. But he didn't say, hey, when we get to heaven, just, you know, maybe hang out over there. Don't let people know you're with me. Because, like, you know, how will that look upon me that I let you into heaven when, you, when you're such a mess? But look at what Scripture says when it comes to how Jesus looks at us. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not, he, as messed up as I am, as big of a flake as I am, as dumb as I am, as embarrassing as I am, he's not ashamed of me. Why would I be ashamed of somebody who loved me that much to give his life for me? Whatever it's going to cost me to acknowledge Christ before men is going to be a fraction of the cost. It won't even show up on the radar of the cost that Christ paid to acknowledge me before the Father. And maybe when the pressure's on, maybe when I'm in the middle of the black hole and thinking, should I stand up and cheer or not stand up and cheer? Maybe that, knowing that, realizing that, remembering that, will give me the strength to stand up and do the thing that I need to do instead of sitting down and just staying quiet. So in this passage, he gives us the eternal consequences of whether we acknowledge him or we deny him, whether we stand strong or cave in. So he says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, publicly, I will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And I like that he's talking about heaven. I like that earlier he said, you know, these people can kill your body, but be worried about the person that can like throw you into hell. It kind of like, it, it gives us the big picture consequences of whether we stand strong for Christ or not in a lost and fallen world. And I think that's important. Why? So imagine you're dealing with a teenager who is in the middle of teenage drama. Somebody said something, somebody did something, and they are devastated. For them, it's like the end of the world. And, and, and you want to help them. And so you say to them this. You say, you know what? Ten years from now, what those people think about you won't even matter. Is that true? Probably. Is that going to help them in that moment? Probably not. Right? Because for them, they're in the middle of it. For them, it's their whole world. Now, you can tell them your whole world is not the whole world. And later on in life, you'll be able to look back and see like that little thing is not the big, the big thing. But when they're in the middle of it, you sharing that with them may not make a difference. Because in order for it to make a difference, in order for you as a parent or a friend or a counselor or the youth pastor, in order for your words to make a difference at that moment, they'd have to do something really hard. They'd have to believe that you know more than they know. And every teenager knows that adults are stupid, so that's not going to work right there. In that moment, they'd have to believe your word over their own personal experience. They just have to blindly trust you that you know what you're talking about. I mean, for it actually, not for them just to nod and say, okay, but for, for it actually to change their heart, to change their emotion, to cause them to get up off their bed where they're sobbing and go walk out the door and say, okay, good, we're good to go for the rest of the day. Like for that to actually make a difference where it changes their life, they would have to believe that you can see something they can't see. They'd have to believe you in spite of their emotions, in spite of their pain, in spite of the pressure they're under, in spite of their own personal experience in life, they'd have to believe you. Okay. Because their world is not the whole world. Now, let's kick that up a notch. So here I am, I'm an adult. And I'm going through problems. And I'm going through pressure. 
And there's people who are being mean to me and they have no reason to be mean to me. And there's people who are mistreating me and they have no reason to mistreat me. And I'm going through all this stuff in life and it's just, it's getting me down. It's wearing on me. I'm feeling beaten up. I'm feeling beaten up. I'm feeling beaten up. I just feel like giving up sometimes. And God could come to me and say this. You know what? Those people that are making your life miserable, 10 billion years in eternity, it won't even matter. Those people that you are trying so hard to get to like you, 10 billion years into eternity, it won't even matter. Those people that you're backing down because you want them to like you, 10 billion years, you won't care what they think. And that's true. That the whole world is not all that there is. There's eternity here. But when I'm in the middle of the pain, when I'm in the middle of the pressure, when I'm in the middle of just you know, feeling like my whole world's falling apart, I'm devastated, in order for what God tells me to really change my life realm, to get up off the bed and head out and say, okay, we're good to go now. I'd have to believe that God knows more than I know. Imagine that. I'd have to believe that God can see something that I can't see. I'd have to be willing to trust God's word over and above my own emotions and over and above my own experience. Is that easy to do? Not so easy to do. So it's helpful that in this passage here where Jesus says don't fear he ends by saying hey here's the big picture here's what's at stake like if you can somehow keep that in mind this thing you're facing down here it's going to be worth it it's going to be worth acknowledging me on a day when it may cost you everything because I'm going to acknowledge you on the day when you're going to gain everything and 10 billion years in eternity what those people don't what those people think about you won't even matter so what does it take to stand strong when the pressure is on what does it take to stand strong when you're in the middle of the black hole and it looks like everybody wants to hurt you? So number one is I got to believe that God's the only one worth fearing. Number two, that God's in control no matter what the circumstances. That God cares about us and that we can trust our lives in his hands. We can submit to his will, even if it means not his, our will, but his will be done. And that Christ is worth acknowledging no matter the cost. So do you believe that Christ is worth acknowledging no matter what the cost? Because this week, there will likely be an opportunity to stand for Christ, to share Christ, to publicly acknowledge Christ. And it may be a big opportunity, or it may just be a small opportunity. But when that opportunity comes, are we going to speak up, or are we going to stay silent? Are we going to stand up, or are we going to stay seated? Are we going to step forward, or are we going to shrink back? Well, what's it going to take to stand strong? What's it going to take to say what Jesus calls us to say and proclaim what Jesus calls us to proclaim and fear whom God calls us to fear and acknowledge the one that God calls us to acknowledge? I'm going to have to believe that he's the only one worth fearing, that he's in control, that he cares about us, and that it's worth it, it's worth it no matter what the cost. And maybe you're somebody who up to this point, you're kind of more on the quiet side. Or maybe even you're somebody who, like Peter, has, you know, and like me, have flaked out of the past and denied Christ. The good news is this, and it was the good news for Peter too. It's not too late to get back in the game. The clock's still running. The game's still on. It's not too late to go get your red jersey, put it back on again, get in, take your spot in the middle of the black hole, and to start cheering for the winning team. Because you're part of the winning team. And Christ is worth it. Christ is worth acknowledging and following and loving and serving no matter what the cost. And with his help, we can do it. Would you pray with me? God, you're holy and righteous and awesome. Lord, open our eyes that we can see who you are. 
Lord, open our eyes so that the, the things around us, the people around us, the things of this world grow dim and that you and your glory shine brightly. And God, let that change us. God, I pray that you would give us courage, that you give us boldness, that you would help us to see the opportunities. Lord, that you would help us to stand strong. I want to pray especially for people right now, Lord, that are just really going through a hard time. Even right now, people who know situations where they do need to say something. They do need to take a stand, but it's so, so hard. The consequences seem so great. Lord, that you give them wisdom on how to address it, the words on how to address it, and the strength to step forward and do what you're calling them to do. Just as you're praying right now, ask for God's help in the way that you need it based on his words that we looked at today. And as you're praying there, that passage at the end that if we acknowledge him before others, he'll acknowledge us before the Father. Maybe you're somebody who's here today, you're not a Christian, and you've never acknowledged Christ. That that's the thing that's going to make a difference for your eternity. Maybe God has you here today because today's the day you're supposed to acknowledge Christ. You're supposed to take your stand for Christ. You're supposed to place your faith in Christ. The Bible says that no matter what we've done, no matter how much we've sinned, Christ died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And he calls us to place our faith in him. This morning, if that's you, take this opportunity to commit your life to Christ. God, I pray for all of us as we, we leave here today, Lord, that we would share you with the world around us. And we ask for this in Christ's name. Amen.